When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Hey, what's happening out there, everybody? It's Brian House here for the Work For It podcast. And tonight, I am in the studio. There's dust in the air. It's quiet. And I am alone, actually. This is uh, something a little bit different. And uh, to give you some backstory, uh, we recorded last night and had some technical difficulties And we just could not get everybody in the same space again to re-record. And I am so dedicated to this work of putting out audio content on the Makery Network that I really felt like, uh, hey, why not? I'll just come into the studio, I'll sit down, and I'll give you a firsthand sort of account right from me, only me, no interruptions, and you can find out exactly what's going on in my head and my workshop and all those things. So this uh, podcast will most likely be a little shorter than uh, some of my other podcasts, but uh, I really felt like I should check in because I've got a lot of stuff that's like weighing on me lately and you know things that are going on in my head. And sometimes when I just sit down with a microphone, it's just like me just doing this. There's no other outside influences. Um, I can be vulnerable and talk about, you know, whatever it might be. So anyhow, this is um, episode number 21 of the Work For It podcast. And I have had quite a ride here on the Makery Network, creating content and pushing it out in an audio format. And you know that um, I love it very much because uh, I get such great feedback from you all on the things that we do here, you know, the things that we put together for you. And it's, it's not just us sitting down and throwing a microphone in front of our faces and all that. We, uh, we talk about what we want to talk. We want, (laughs) we talk about what we want to talk about. That makes sense. And we, we, you know, we work on it really hard. So, um, we appreciate you listening in and writing in your questions and all. And so, um, please keep those questions coming. You can find us on the, um, Instagram platform, workforit.podcast, where you can uh, ask us a question and we will answer it. And I'll get to some of the questions that have actually been asked here in the last couple of days. Uh, A couple of things going on in my shop right now. Uh, If you're following me on Instagram, you know that I am working on a 1945 Logan 400 lathe. 
This is a lathe that I acquired from a friend of mine who I met through YouTube. Um, yes, I actually do meet people that I, you know, that watch the channel and all. And he lived in, uh, lives in Tampa, the Tampa area anyway. And he came down and he was actually with the guest on the show last night. And unfortunately we had just some, just some stuff happen that couldn't, uh, be corrected audio wise. But, uh, so we're going to sit down with Scott in another session and, um, make that happen. Uh, but, uh, you know, when, you get a tool from somebody and, you know, it's probably been passed down a few generations. Uh, this particular tool, uh, the, the owner of the tool, probably the original owner, uh, I actually Googled his name. If you look on Instagram, you can find it. I think it's, it's pronounced Reese, R-Y-S-Z. Uh, he bought, he, his family all actually, strangely enough, uh, comes from my area of the world, which is Northern Illinois, like right West of, uh, like the suburbs of Chicago. And so when I acquired this from Scott, he had obviously bought it from somebody in Tampa. I would assume it's like a daughter or family member that had it and it was stacked up in their garage and, you know, you know, the person retired or died and, um, I acquired it. And, and, you know, what's funny about working with an old piece of equipment like this is that it functions really well. I mean, there's a little bit of chatter, you know, it, it, it does, it, it cuts, you know, is what I'm trying to say. And I've, you know, I've modified it a little bit to make it work. Uh, the motor that came with it was a single phase motor and it had stepper pulleys. And I just ripped all that out. I really wanted this thing to be functional and I wanted it to be easy to use. So, by adding a three-phase motor and a VFD, I made it really actually something I can use because I can run it forward and reverse and I can do speed changes. And it's a ton of torque because it's a two-horsepower motor. Uh, I've never used a metal lathe before. So this is a completely new experience for me. Now, when I was a kid, my dad and I had a workshop, a wood-based wood workshop in our basement in Illinois and I uh, had a wood lathe there. So I would go out to the, uh, the forest, find a cherry tree, cut a, cut a branch down, you know, and, uh, dry it out. And, and I didn't know what I was doing, you know, but I made a hammer and I made a handle for a screwdriver and, uh, thank God I still have all my fingers, you know, um, I think back on that now and I don't know if I'd let Dexter, uh, use a lathe, um, at, uh, 13, 12 or 13 years old by himself. Uh, but, I would spend a ton of time around these tools, these power tools. I mean, my dad had chop saw, radial arm saw. Uh, we had a stick welder. We had a MIG welder. We had all these dangerous tools. And it's something that I think back on now, how much that influenced me, just having the tools in my house. You know, my dad went out, purchased them all, and used them on the regular, but you know, it was, you know, he'd go off to work or be summer vacation. He'd be working. I'd be home and I would find myself in the workshop making things. And, you know, even though the stuff I was producing was, you know, trash, it didn't really look that great. I was learning, you know, I'm sitting there trying to figure out, Hey, what does this belt sander do? Or what is a radial arm saw good for? What does a miter saw do? What's a chop saw do? Um, and I would later apply all of those things that I, when I sat down and started thinking about them, like every time I sit down and learn a new tool, I, you know, I have a little bit of an advantage because I understand how things work. Now I produce content for YouTube, right? And on the regular, probably, I don't know, maybe once a day I get a, you know, comment about, you know, removing the guard from the, from the, um, 
angle grinder. Why do you do that? You shouldn't wear gloves around spinning tools and, you know, a lot of mothering going on. And, and I don't really understand that. I, I, that's unsolicited safety advice that I don't really need. And, and I'm not safety adverse. It's not that. It's just uh, I understand what I'm doing. I haven't had any issues. I'm, of course, people that don't, you know, listen to these these rules um, do have issues about, you know, losing fingers or cutting off something or whatever. I've been cut. I've been bruised. I've had all those issues. That that does happen. Um, but I've been lucky, I guess. And, you know, the gloves I wear, they're like tear-away gloves. They're not leather. They're not going to get caught in something and tear my arm off, you know, like these comments uh, recommend or, or say is going to happen. Um, but I attribute, though, some of the success that I've had not losing any digits to all that time I had in my workshop, you know, with my dad and learning about all that stuff. Uh, and by the way, um, listening to the Knife Talk podcast, I heard Jeff and, and uh, Craig and Mareko talking about uh, cutting handle material on a table saw and how frightening that is. The table saw is really frightening. I have a, um, I, for longest time, I used my grandfather's Delta Milwaukee. Way back in the 40s, Delta Milwaukee was one company. So later down the road, they would have split off in, into one, uh, two different companies, Delta and Milwaukee. But back then, uh, the, the they sold tools as Delta Milwaukee. And um, that was the saw I learned on. And if you can imagine, it's really just a spinning blade and a piece of cast iron that you can raise and lower the blade. It's, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, I can't even imagine that I was using that saw, you know, as a child, as a a young man, as a boy with very little um, supervision. Um, And my grandfather used that tool, used that saw to build the house that my dad grew up in. You know, this is a, if you can't tell, you, the, my family has made a living working with their hands and in, in building things or fixing things. I come from a long line of people who, who did these, these kinds of things. Now, my grandfather was an engineer. And if you, you've heard some of the other stories on the podcast, if you go way back, I tell the story about how my grandfather invented the uh, mechanism that actually makes the orbital sander function. So he worked for a company called National Detroit, my hometown of Rockford, Illinois. And he created this mechanism, you know, to, to allow the pad to, to oscillate. And that, that company and the, and the man who ran it, his name was Roy Champagne. He held the patent on that for like 50 years. And, you know, of course that runs out and all. And, and, um, but you know, working with our minds and with our hands has been something that comes naturally to all of us. What also comes naturally to all of us is, um, you know, addiction. And, you know, my family has a long line of people who are uh, brilliantly tortured. You know, my grandfather was a brilliant man, always inventing things and creating things. But, you know, he was a terrible alcoholic and he would end up in, in bars, you know, and, and my dad would go off looking for him. These terrible stories, you know, about, um, about that stuff. And, uh, I never knew him cause he died when I was three, but I hear stories, you know, about him from my, my uncles and my aunts and, you know, the, the people that knew him that were close to him that loved him. And they were, they would always talk about the things that he did, you know, and it wasn't so much the person he was because, you know, obviously he was a flawed human being like we all are. 
but uh, he they talked about the things that he left behind, you know, his tools, the house he built, um, the legacy uh, of designing and building things, working with abrasives, uh, you know, creating things. He worked for another company called Woodward Governor, and uh, he worked on some of the things that uh, made the Manhattan Project function. You know, he was a self-taught engineer, and uh, but just tortured, a tortured human being. And uh, I empathize with that a little bit. Um, I feel like I have so many ideas and so many projects in my mind and just so much little time. You know, I don't have time to sit down and just create all the things that I want to create. And I've always wanted to be the smartest guy in the room. You know, when whenever I would hang out with people, I would, you know, especially when I was younger and I knew that didn't know that this was a faux pas, I would, you know, of course, rant on about all the things I knew and talk about stupid stuff and whatever. I still do this and, and Sarah calls it mansplaining. Um, but I've tried to curtail it and, uh, be quiet, you know, more than, than talk. But, um, there's that whole thing where we attribute our value to not only our ability as men to uh, make a living with our hands or with our minds, you know, to put bread on the table, you know, that's the thing, bring home the bacon, you know, you can, you can do this. Uh, and we attribute our self-worth to that. Well, once you reach a certain point in your life where, you know, making money may or may not be the sole focus. I'm in my mid-40s. I have uh, been a fairly successful entrepreneur. The money side of it really doesn't excite me anymore uh, so much as um, building community does, uh, creating things, and also, you know, working with my hands and making things. These are the important things to me. Um, Also, you know, making sure my kids have what they need, making sure there's bread on the table, you know, all of that stuff. It's it is a culmination of many things. But honestly, it's not something that I focus on too much anymore. I focus on leaving something behind, you know, this this concept that like when I'm in the grave or wherever I am cremated or whatever, and they're, they're talking about my kids are talking about me. And they're telling, you know, stories about me. What are they going to remember? You know, what are they going to know about? Are they going to remember the year that I spent designing a grinder and and selling it on the Internet or all the funny stuff I did with them, trips I took with them, camping, fishing, boating? You know, I, I don't really know, to be honest. I don't know what's going to stick out in their mind. Um, and then half of me feels like that. And then the other half feels like. Does it even matter? You know, does it even really friggin' matter? I mean, I'll be dead. It won't matter. There's this like more morbid concept of, you know, you just go off into the ether or whatever. And some people believe there's an afterlife and, and all that. And, um, you know, I'm more of an agnostic. So I, you know, I believe that there is something out there. I don't know what it is. I don't, I can't understand it in my mind. I don't understand it fully, but, um, I, I would love to believe that there's an afterlife. Do I really want to see what the people that are left behind are saying about me? Probably not. You know, I don't know. Anyway, uh, not to get down this path too hard, but I really wanted to talk about some of the things that have been going on in my mind because I feel so scatterbrained lately. You know, I haven't been able to create content on the regular. I've been very busy at work. I've been just trying to maintain my, you know, my staff, people getting sick. Uh, you know, when, when it seems like when one guy gets it, then the next guy gets it. And then it's, you know, I'm filling in for them. So my life has become a revolving door of just kind of like backing up my staff, making sure people have what they need, 
all the while wishing I could spend more time in my workshop. And uh, all the while, I've got all these ideas swirling in my mind for new designs and new creations that I want to build, new videos I want to make. And I, I cannot seem to dial in any one particular thing. It feels like uh, I'm running on a treadmill. And that treadmill is on fire. And all I'm doing is, uh, you know, dumping water on that same treadmill. I can't get off of it. And I, I'm just spinning, spinning, spinning. And, and at some point, I know the whole thing's going to melt and explode in my face. That's a really weird feeling, you know, to come to grips with your own your own sort of, um, I guess the word is, um, it's, it's like I, I'm coming, I know I'm just, I just cannot find the, the right path to keep me on focus with anything recently. And I, I, I was listening back to the knife talk last knife talk episode. Mareko was talking about, uh, actually, Craig brought it up. He was talking about mental health. You know, what are you guys doing to stay stay healthy mentally? And I realized I haven't been doing anything. I haven't been keeping tabs on myself mentally. I have been keeping busy because I think that that is the only way to kind of keep myself calm. You know, if I can keep, you know, just plumping out projects and working and sharing on the, the Internet and doing that kind of stuff, that's what really, you know, makes me feel happy and good. But when I have to step away from that, it annoys the living shit out of me. And I, you know, I get kind of down, I get in a funk, you know, I get in this thing where I'm just like, ah, it's, you know, it's a terrible thing. I should not feel this way, you know, and this is a result of obviously many different things. You know, a lot of different um, influences are coming at me and everything. And, I, you know, uh, again, just like you're, they're coming at you, you're probably thinking the same thing. You know, you got to deal with this pandemic. You're, you know, your business may have changed. You know, the, the ideas that you had about the future may have changed. Your family life may have changed. And it's scary, you know. So I feel like talking about it really is the only way that I can sort of mitigate some of the issues I have going on in my head. And, and some of you all who listen to this podcast are some of my closest friends, even though I've never met you, you're maybe on the other side of the planet. Uh, we talk a lot, you know, on social media and we discuss things on social media and, and, um, and that is the true reason social media exists. I mean, we all know there's an advertising platform and guys like me who have a business use it to, you know, generate sales and all of that. My view on it, though, is a little bit different. I do believe social media is designed to actually build relationships. And if you do it right, those relationships can be lifelong because the Internet gives you a broad coverage to find the people that you're really supposed to be connected to. The people who care about you, even though you've never met them, that is entirely possible. You can achieve these relationships. You can get an enormous amount of advice and good things from the people that are online. You can get some terrible advice and some terrible things said about you, too. Uh, you know, they're just like in real the real world. You know, you meet people you gel with and then you meet people you don't gel with. It's the exact same thing. Um, I think on the Internet, it's a little bit it comes a little bit quicker to the surface, you know, because people aren't face to face. But so, but by sharing with you guys, you know, hey, I'm 
dealing with the funk. I've got the blues a little bit, and I'm trying to mitigate that. Listening to Craig, Morocco, and Jeff talk about it on Knife Talk really brought it to the surface for me. And Morocco discussed uh, an app he's using about meditation. And uh, I've never, I'm so ADD, I can't, you know, I can barely sit still for five minutes. And the only time I ever sit still is when I'm sleeping. Um, but, uh, so I tried, I'm trying this app that he, uh, recommended in the podcast. And I, if you're all open to it, if your minds are open to it, um, you know, you should go out and check out waking up. It's uh, an app that's put together and it's a paid thing. I, and you can get it for free. There's like a way to get it for free. Uh, but, uh, it's really helping me. So, um, I hope that, uh, you know, I've only been in it doing it for the last like day and a half, but, uh, I just wanted to pass that information along to you guys in case some of you out there who could use a, a little bit of a boost mentally, a little bit of a, an uplift, or perhaps you're searching for something to try to find something to help you and uh, to get your mind uh, back in line with what's going on. I'm looking for, through this process, I'm looking for clarity. I feel like at any given moment, my attention is pulled in 19 different directions. I am looking for clarity. I have to find it. I have to find that, that space where I can go and uh, come out and go into a room, meditate for 10 minutes, come out and feel refreshed and focused and rock the day. Normally, I'm very productive. I get a lot of stuff done. And just probably in the last two, three months, I feel like I haven't had even one productive day. And that, to me, that's where I place all of my value. Whether or not it matters what I'm doing, whether or not what I'm doing is profitable, as long as I have something to show for it at the end of the day, that's where me, when I look in the mirror, I see my value. And I understand the aggregate effect of doing one little thing here, one little thing there, you know, even if it's like a day where all you do is calibrate your Rockwell hardness tester and it takes you like five hours because it fell over in the back of your car like you're a moron, you didn't strap down right. I felt productive that day. You know, that was, even though it was a terrible situation to be in and I thought I destroyed this machine, I got a chance to sit down, figure it out, make it work better than it did before and I came away from that day feeling like I had done something, like I was productive. That was my biggest beef when I worked for somebody else because I worked in networking, IT, tech stuff. And I just felt like there was no, there was no end to any of the work. I mean, it just every day you would go in and you would accomplish one thing. And once that one ticket was done, you would be on to the next ticket. And it was a never-ending flow of problems. Nobody ever speaks to you unless there's a problem and they're frustrated. It is a job of uh, just a revolving door of frustration. <laughs> and um, and I've done that for 20 years, you know, being in tech support and IT, customer service. And, you know, you get burned out over time on that. But my solace is my workshop. You know, I can come in here. I can turn on my little sewing lamp lights that I got on all my, my little devices. I can turn my lights off. And, you know, get my nice little lighting going and run a camera and learn how to do something. Film it, put it up on YouTube or Instagram, share my experiences with others. And that gives me purpose. 
It gives, it makes me happy, makes me feel productive. If I could help one person in the course of this, um, this life of mine, other than in tech support, I've made a pretty decent dent, I think. That will make me feel good, I think. Or maybe not. I don't know. Maybe I'll get there and it won't matter. That's, that's the other thing, too. That's another scary piece of this. It's like, once you get to where you wanted to go and you achieved your goal, now what? Now what? It's like, what does it mean? You know, why are we here? You know, all this existential baloney, man, I'm telling you, it is swirling around in my mind and I'm having just a really, really hard time processing it recently. And, I, and, and what's funny is that my whole life up until this year, I never really felt this. You know, I, I always kind of knew like, okay, this is the path. This is where I want to go. This is what I want to do. But what, what now? I'm there. And what now? Okay, do, do I get a bigger building? Do I, I create a bigger YouTube studio? Do I make more content? Do I make more knives? Do I learn a new skill set? And I, I don't have the answers right now. So what do you think? What do you want to do where do you think the answers are? Because I, I, I can't seem to find them recently, you know? But here's what I do know. I still, every day, have a ton of hope. The one thing that will never leave my body is hope. You know, I, I, I haven't, you know, the words coming out of my mouth might sound deep, dark, and negative. Um, but the, on the converse of everything I'm talking about, I know that this is the path to getting to a place where I want to be. Uh, and who am I, really, to even be so boastful to sit here and talk about my own, you know, be transparent and talk about my own issues, you know, my own mental, uh, I, I, the, the word escapes me. What is it? Neurotic. My own, I'm just being neurotic. <laughs> uh, I always have to think of Woody Allen when I think of the word neurotic. I'm trying to think of that word, neurotic. So let me tell you what I've done. To start shifting my mental focus, uh, I, stopped, uh, I stopped consuming all alcohol again. Uh, it was getting a little out of hand. I felt like uh, I, I was having a cocktail every day, and I was uh, using that as a means of escape. And when you do that on a regular basis, you don't realize the aggregate effect, well, at least on me anyway is that uh, I felt like, you know, I was just masking my true feelings. Every day it was like, time to make the donuts, you know, get up, do my thing, you know, feed the dog, go to work, uh, you know, help the kids with their school, come home and, you know, have a cocktail, sit down, fall asleep, eat a bag of candy, you know, wash, rinse, repeat, whatever. Uh, I, what I realized was after about three months of that, that, um, I didn't really know. I didn't, couldn't recognize the guy in the mirror anymore, you know, and I just didn't like what I saw. You know, I wanted to be more productive. I wanted to come up with a new machine. I wanted to redesign some things. I wanted to build some things. And what I found was every single day that I was just sort of numbing myself, I couldn't do that. I would come home and when I would normally come home and hang with the family or, or sit at my computer and design some stuff, uh, 
I just wasn't motivated to do it. It was easier to grab a glass of wine and, uh, you know, just kind of drown myself a little bit. And, uh, and, and by no means do I think I'm an alcoholic or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. But, uh, you know, even having just one drink a night, I felt like my productivity went way, way down. Now, at some point, am I going to return to having a cocktail? Yes, of course. But I feel like these cycles, they're, they're important for me. As, as, far, as far as my creative cycles go, uh, I notice patterns. And those patterns are that I need to... I need to get on the wagon. I need to. I need sobriety. I need clarity. I need focus, and I need to focus on certain things. And and without uh, the mask or the um, the the rose colored glasses that um, substances bring, because you know there's a time and a place for it. Uh, and I want to do better and be better. So I made the decision to stop drinking just to see what would happen again, yet again. Um, also, uh, as funny as it sounds, um, I'm watching binge watching again the um, Rescue Me series with Dennis Leary. And if you know who Dennis Leary is, he's an American comedian. He was born in Massachusetts, I believe, but he lived in New York for a period of time. And it's a story about a um, post 9/11 firefighters, you know, like what they're dealing with. Um, and he has um, alcohol issues. You know, he has an addictive personality. He's trying to mask a lot of things. And that was sort of a mirror for me. You know, I was watching that show and I'm just like, man, you know, I, I halfway think that Leary created that series based on his own experiences, I'm, I'm assuming. Uh, and, you know, he's trying to tell us something, you know, that uh, and there's this whole season where he's he goes right back on. Uh, drinking every day and he goes to these AA meetings and he's, he's telling everybody that his life sucked when he was sober and he wishes he could drink every day and he pulls out a flask out of his coat and he drinks it right in front of everybody at the AA meeting and it's and, and, and of course he influences all these other people who are now in this meeting he's seeing them out in bars and they're just getting trashed and doing their thing and you know just kind of living their lives um but there's just this irony, you know, behind all of that. So uh, if you're looking for something to watch, you can you can watch it for uh, on Hulu, and it's uh, part of their package. So you can go out and watch Rescue Me commercial free for right now on Hulu. If you're a Hulu subscriber, um, that's uh, it's a great uh, series. I think there's seven seasons total. But getting back to uh, what I was talking about with hope, I feel every day like I'm going to dig myself up and out of this. I know it. I just don't know how exactly. So by having these external influences, like the guys at Knife Talk, you know, they're talking about this stuff on their podcast, which is knife related. I would never have listened to it otherwise. Now they're my friends. I I, I know them, you know, on the internet, so to speak. But they're they influence me that day, you know, by talking about that. And I realize the power that we have as people who create content. Uh, because that influenced me. Everything I'm doing might influence you in a good or bad way. So by sharing this stuff to you, with you, I feel like, you know, I have a responsibility to talk about some of my struggles in my, in my path to getting to where I want to go. So that's that. 30 minutes in to this podcast, me just blathering on about all that, all that stuff. So let's take a minute and 
uh, talk about some of the other projects I have going on. Um, I, uh, getting back to the lathe, uh, what's great about this lathe is that, um, it's really simple to modify and add new stuff. So like there, I bought a tool post, a tool holder post. I don't know exactly what it's called. Uh, but it's more modern, a quick change, uh, post. And I, I machined that. I got a chance to use the mill and machine that all out and get that fitted. I actually don't have any tooling, uh, that isn't, that didn't come with the package. Uh, like I got an old, um, Kennedy, uh, tool, uh, chest with it. Uh, Scott, in fact, brought me two of them and they were, it was filled with all the gears, the change gears and the, um, some tooling and things, some things that, the, the this person, um, actually that owned it, the original owner had made himself cause he stamped his name into it and he stamped some dates into it. Uh, one of which is July 31st, uh, 1941. So if you can imagine, uh, that lathe was in use. Well, I don't know. I guess if this is a 45, then that maybe that's just an older, another tool, but, um, you know, right around world war two, you know, um, the serial number on this thing, as far as I can tell, looks like it was built in 45, but maybe it was sooner. Who knows? Uh, I find that fascinating by the way, that this piece of steel was around during that time and now it's in my workshop and I'm using it to make stuff and and uh, I really I really feel blessed to have it so Scott thank you so much uh, for being my tool dealer <laughs> so we were joking about that last night some of the other projects you've probably seen me working on in my studio are um, we do I'm doing a knife collaboration with Ben's bites those blades were finally finished uh, I sent them up to him uh, right before I sent them to him I had acquired this phase two Rockwell hardness tester and uh, so I got a chance to uh, actually check my blades for hardness and I'm, I'm heat treating 80 CRV two. I did it in my kiln and then I tempered at 400 degrees Fahrenheit. And I came out with a Rockwell hardness of, uh, HRC of, uh, it was uh, just under 50, uh, just over 59 on most of the blades. It was like between 57 and 59 on most of the blades. So they were not quite where I wanted them to be. I know a lot of people talk about Jason Knight pushing things to 60, 62. So the next round, which I, we improved the profile just a little bit when I, when I sent them up to Ben. So just to give you some backstory on Ben, Ben and I met on Instagram and then, you know, Obviously, we started talking on Instagram, we exchanged phone numbers, and then bang, we're doing a collaboration, the whole thing. This is why I love, love, love social media. Uh, we're doing this collaboration, which I would never have done, because I'm not a production knife maker. I'm not even a great knife maker. I'm, I'm terrible at it, really. Uh, I can do it. I'm still learning. You know, There's so much to learn. Uh, so anyway, Ben and I started this project where we wanted to do some bunka, B-U-N-K, Japanese knives. And... He's more of a handle guy. He's, he built the revolution grinder. So he's, uh, you know, he's making blades, but he's still learning just like me. So the collaboration is I take the steel, the 80 CRV two, we're using eighth inch thick. I'm grinding it down to 0.09. So at the spine is 0.09. And then, uh, and then, you know, we profile it in, uh, on the Langmuir systems, crossfire pro love that plasma table. But uh, when you cut out high carbon steel on a plasma table, especially if there's a water table underneath, it quenches the outside, you know, quenches whatever's hot. So it gets hard uh, and you have to anneal the steel afterwards, which I don't mind doing. So I'm working on another project right now, which has been the last week of my life has been creating a muffle tube, like a very sort of 
intricate muffle tube for my forge because I what I'm wanting to do here is I want to know that now that I have a hardness tester, right? I really want, and th- this may sound crazy, but I really want to sound, <laughs> I want to figure out the difference if I'm using my kiln, which most of you know, I've repurposed an old ceramic kiln. I rewired it, added a PID controller so I can, you know, dial the, I can do ramp and soak and all that fancy stuff. And then I want to find out, okay, if I heat treat a blade that's ex- the same exact knife, you know, two versions of it, one in a kiln, one in a forge, can I achieve the same hardness level consistently? And now because I have a Rockwell tester, I can do that. I can I can run these tests. And I figured it'd be great for you all to watch that on YouTube. It would give me a, a you know, kind of a, kind of a cool sort of content thing that I could do over and over and over and just like, you know, do this with different kinds of steels and, and work on, on that and figure that all out. Most people would just say, why are you even bothering with this? Uh, just send it out to like Peter's heat treat or something. But, um, and, and I could, but I, I'm interested in this because a lot of guys are doing this work in their home forges and they are heat treating like guys like Mike Lavallee, for instance, he just sent me a really nice Nakiri knife, uh, Damascus Nakiri knife. I tested it, you know, it was 59 HRC. He did a great job uh, on, on Damascus and he did it in a forge with, and he has no tester. He doesn't really know, you know, when he's pumping these blades out, he's not really sure what the, what the, uh, the, the HRC is when he, when he gets it out. So I have his blade, I tested it and it came back at 59, which is, uh, awesome. Right. And a forge. So using these different experiments and learning about metals and how that all works and, and edge retention and all of those things, I'm, I've really gotten granular with this. So um, uh, this is the process we're in. So Ben and I are doing this collaboration. I make these blades. I, I have to anneal them. I create this uh, fancy little shelving system for my forge. You can go on Instagram, on my Instagram, which is uh, house underscore underscore work. You can you can see the the forge burning. Uh, I did it last night. Um, fired that thing up, threw the shelving in there, and I got a nice even heat across all of the blades. Or I had two blades in there, but w- w- what I was really looking for was removing the hot spots out of the forge. You know, when I've got my knives in there and I'm doing my annealing process or my heat treat, there's always one section of the blade. You know, you see these guys moving their blades in and out with their tongs. And there's a reason for that. They're trying to distribute the heat across the steel so that they get a nice, even temperature. Well, I've, I've seen like James over at Redbeard Ops. He uses a, just a piece of tube steel. This is called a muffle tube. It's nothing new. I mean, people have been doing this for a long time. Uh, he slides his blade into the, to that. And it, essentially what it does is it creates an oven, right? It's an oven inside of your forge. So the, the flames are not directly hitting the blade and it sort of eliminates those hot spots. I wanted to do this, but on a different scale, you know, I want multiple blades, you know, cause I'll do three, four, five at a time. I want to be able to do that and I want to be able to do it consistently. And now that I have this phase two Rockwell hardness tester, I feel like I can do that and I can test it and make sure now, Here's the other cool thing. I designed it so that it will fit in my kiln too. So I can drop this down into the bottom of my kiln and I can do my annealing in there. Um, I wouldn't be able to do heat treating that way though. I don't know. Maybe if I put it on end, not that I guess that wouldn't matter. I usually hang everything anyway in my kiln. But uh, uh, that being said, those are the projects that I've got going on. 
I've shipped the blades up the bend up in, uh, he lives near Boston and, uh, he got the blades and he, he likes the profile, but there was like just a couple of little issues, ergonomics, you know, we, we were, we're working on that. You know, we're looking at it from a standpoint, I'm not a chef. I don't know, you know, the, the, you know, how much at the heel, how much at the tip, what should the belly look like? You know, all of those things are, it's real preferential. I get it. But at the same time, Ben, he knows a ton about this. So he's interested in performance of the blade. You know, what does it feel like in the hand and how does it cut and all of those things. So we are working on that together. And this project is something that's become something I think about every day. You know, I wake up in the morning, think about how can I do this process differently, better, more efficiently? Um, how can we increase our ROI? Uh, because we, by the time we had these posts, I think we sold all of them within like a day or two. Uh, and I'm thinking, wow, you know, people want to buy our knives. That's great. We want to make sure that we're giving them a great product though. So that's really important to me. And, uh, it's been really a great time working with Ben and, and working with him directly because, um, he just brings such a different energy to what I'm doing. You know, I'm a very technical oriented engineer based person, but I love, I'm, I have an art full side. I, I have things in my head that I'd like to see happen, but I need people like Ben to, um, help me look at details, help me figure out things like ergonomics and, and, um, and, and, and profile shape and all that. So, uh, be on the lookout for those finished knives, by the way. Um, we're, we're talking about handle materials at this point. He is a master handle maker. If you've, if you go out to his Instagram, Ben's bites, find him on there, um, and follow him there. You'll see his work. It's really, really great stuff. It's really beautiful stuff. So, and he's a pleasure to work with. So that's the other project I've got going on. And, uh, geez, I mean, other than the Rockwell hardness tester, like Jeff, I'm walking around testing every single thing I can find, um, to, to measure it. I mean, I, I, I have this thing dialed in now. So where, you know, I put a, a little plate in there that's a certified, uh, HRC tester thing and it comes back right on the money. So I know that my readings are very accurate, which, um, I'm really happy about, but, uh, other than that, I have been operating and functioning basically on a 25% fuel tank level where, you know, every single day I'm, I'm, but trying to balance obviously what I've got going on with my other business and, and, and then housemaid, you know, um, doing really well with the grinders and people supporting my business and, and talking about us on social media. And, you know, I go online now and I just see my grinder is everywhere. And, um, that makes me feel really good. It makes me feel really good for so many other, so many reasons other than financial, you know, when we, so, a lot of people are like, Oh, it's a business. You want to make money. And, it is. It is a business. And I, yeah, of course, you know, we need to make a living doing what we love doing. But at the same time, I'm watching guys who were making knives with one by 30 Harbor Freight uh, little grinders, and they're pumping out amazing work at two to three times the speed that they normally would because they got a chance to um, get into a grinder, you know, and get into a two by 72. And, uh, that it, it just warms my heart to see all these guys pumping out blades, working in their workshops. And also the amount of people who tag me in their build photos and they're, you know, they're sending me, uh, you know, their progress photos of everything they've got going on in their workshops. And I just, 
absolutely love it. And and on top of that, I now are built, I'm building relationships with some of these guys that I would never have access to, you know, people who have amazing, uh, fabrication shops, you know, that like a couple guys built my grinder and then made their own wheels, you know? Um, and, and it, because building the grinder was half the fun for them, you know, they wanted to actually build it, uh, themselves. And so I get to see that progress. And then I get to see it built in Thailand and in Indonesia and South Africa and Australia, New Zealand even. And, uh, man, if you would have told me a year ago that this was happening, I would have, I wouldn't have believed you. You know, it's uh, just been under a year now that, uh, I started the design process of the building the revolution and I did it all in SketchUp and did it all rudimentary drawings and by hand. And I sat down with my dad and my father-in-law and we all kind of went over it a little bit at a time. And then one day I just started building the pieces and I didn't have a plasma table or any f- fancy tools. You know, I just, just cut them by hand, use my, use my angle grinder and my cutoff wheel from Harbor Freight and my, uh, my, uh, my mill and I cut the pieces one by one. And uh, that gr- that grinder is still in operation, the original prototype. And I, that's the one I tend to use the most. I think it's because I'm so connected to it. But now, it, it, you know, let's see, I released the plans in February. And then I released the parts in March. And the amount of those have, that have been built now... I, I don't even know. I, I, I lost count, but it's a lot. I mean, it, I would say probably over 500 have been built, you know, that I've seen, uh, with pictures and all. And that's 500 makers doing something and then taking ownership of the tools that are in their workshop. Yes, I designed it. Yes, I shipped them the parts, but it's a lot of work. You know, you got to build this thing. You got to cut the tube, you got to weld it all together and it's a it's a fun project and you learn a lot while you're doing it but it's no joke you know you got to you got to work for it i mean that's that's really what it is and that little thing like that something like that that i started in november of last year before the coronavirus before all this craziness and the politics is what is giving me hope today like i wake up to inbox my inbox filled with photos of people all over the world building this grinder or asking me questions and we're talking back and forth and they're helping me this morning got an email from a guy named john sent me an entire cad drawing for a new uh easy to build tracking mechanism he sat down and just did it figured it out and said like hey could this be useful to you didn't ask for anything in return that is what gives me hope what gives me hope I got it alright guys 45 minutes in I appreciate you all very much thanks for listening this has been work for it I'm Brian House if you like this show take a look at our other shows made for makers just like you at www.makery.network
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.